This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Some of the most iconic moments in music have been played on a Gibson guitar, but lately the company has fallen on some tough times. Gibson filed for bankruptcy in May and is expected to relaunch in November. The company was founded in 1902, and musicians including B.B. King, Les Paul, and Slash from Guns N' Roses are famous for playing its instruments. A few years ago, Gibson tried to branch out and become more of a lifestyle brand. It had some expensive failures and ended up with a lot of debt it couldn't handle. I talked with Wharton's Americus Reed. You know, focus on the creation of a quality piece of art. David Robertson. But then they started to become more acquisition happy. They reached farther and farther away from their core, which was great guitars. And Keith Niedermeyer. Gibson kind of took their eye off the ball in terms of where their core assets are, which is in that Gibson name and some of those iconic products. They talked to me about where Gibson went wrong and how it can make a comeback under a new leadership team. Americus Reed studies the role that customers' sense of self plays into their buying decisions. He's also a musician who has been playing drums and dabbling in guitar for years. The younger generations are less attuned to sort of the great classic rock and roll icons like Elvis and B.B. King and these guys that used to play Gibson guitars. And so you just don't grow. You're the likelihood of being young and growing up and being exposed to these kinds of idols uh, is less. Uh, the other piece to this is that in terms of how a kid might be interested in getting a guitar, uh, Gibson guitars are expensive. And so, you know, you probably aren't going to start with that level of quality if you're interested in just getting initial exposure to guitar lessons and that kind of thing. So it's it's difficult to keep a, a young student of guitar going to where they could get to that level of eventually buying something as expensive as a Gibson guitar. One big change, Reed says, is the way people learn guitar today. There's just kind of a different model of how people learn guitar now. It's very much a a technology-driven kind of thing. You jump on YouTube. Uh, It used to be in the old days when I was coming up, you you got your guitar and you went to a teacher and you sat down and there was this kind of one-on-one kind of personal instruction. I think that's gone now. But I think there is because technology has like more of a social network kind of effect. There is an opportunity for Gibson to, to be in that space as more of a thought leader in the music kind of context. I think one of the big things that they have been uh, sort of criticized for is trying to expand the brand into different lifestyle areas that had really nothing to do with the DNA and the the perception of them as being really good at creating instruments. And so I think most companies face this idea of a tension between wanting to grow a market beyond core users who may be particularly loyal and want to pay more and be vested in the in the brand in comparison to trying to attract newer consumers who perhaps just want entree into the brand. I think this is very tricky because you have to be very careful that you don't denigrate the brand by dropping price too low and then the perception of quality because there is a natural uh, correlation in people's heads between uh, price and quality. And what advice would Reed have for Gibson's new CEO? The one thing I would uh, advise the CEO to do is to go back to what you're really good at. Uh, and, you know, focus on the creation of a quality piece of art, creating that kind of super interesting, high engagement, digital thought leadership with this younger group of consumers, and then slowly kind of introduce them to your, reintroduce them, I guess, to your brand uh, in that kind of more uh, sophisticated way. 
Keith Niedermeyer is also a musician. He came to our interview with a copy of the Billboard chart for the top 50 songs that week. Not one was a guitar-driven song. He says that's an example of the industry trends that Gibson is up against, but it's also an example of some of the opportunities the company has overlooked. Gibson kind of took their eye off the ball in terms of where their core assets are, which is in that Gibson name and some of those iconic products. And so if you look at the market in terms of units of guitars sold, it, the, the trend is downward. You know, a little over a decade, um, unit sales are off 20, 25%. Um, but if you look at the revenue in the market, the revenue has been on an upward trend. So it was about um, $1.1 billion dollars you know, a decade or so ago, it's $1.3 billion on way fewer units. So if you peel that back a little bit, what that's saying is, is generally the industry, and especially Gibson, are selling fewer guitars, but at higher prices. You've seen a lot of baby boomers who are now, you know, older in their 50s and 60s, who love Jimmy Page, who love Angus Young and ACDC, and they're buying their dream guitars coming out of Gibson's custom shop at four, five, some are even six, seven thousand dollars. So they're making incredibly good revenue and margin on those guitars, but at the expense of bringing new people into the market and new people into the Gibson brand itself. And that being said, there's some other competitors who have positioned themselves to get that entry level market. Fender, which is their biggest rival, has traditionally offered a lot of uh, cheaper models for entry level. Um, there's niche makers like Reverend Guitars, out of, which is out of the Detroit area, now out of the Toledo, Ohio area. Um, they make really nice guitars at less than $1,000. And I see more and more uh, pro working type players going with those niche brands and some other brands instead of your classic Gibson, which, which spells you know, long-term trouble for them as well. Then Niedermeyer turned to the top 50 list he brought to our interview. There's probably two artists in the top 50 today that even really play a guitar. One is Taylor Swift um, and the other is Ed Sheeran. And both of them don't play Gibsons. Um, it took me all the way to number 53 to get to a, a real electric guitar-based song. And that was country music. That was Kenny Chesney. Um, I don't think they've done a good job of cultivating influencers. Um one of the things that's difficult for them is they've been trying to invest a lot of in, in innovation. And, um, you know, one of the things that they're kind of famous or infamous for is over the last few years is they've been trying to market a self-tuning guitar. Um, so they were trying, uh, they basically created a technology where the tuning pegs tune themselves. And um, I've used it and I've chatted with a number of people who have, and nobody really has a very high opinion of, of it. Um, and it's one of those things that they're kind of trying to slap technology on something that's otherwise perfect. It's, it's, it's a beautiful design. And that type of technology is not bringing more people to that product. David Robertson grew up less than 100 miles away from Gibson's former headquarters in Kalamazoo, Michigan. He's a former guitar player who once owned a 1937 Gibson Archtop. He's also the author of a book called The Power of Little Ideas, which argues that companies often take too narrow a view of innovation. They focus on radical changes instead of smaller, complementary ones that could have a big impact. As I was researching this story, I realized how many ways that the company had touched my life and how sorry I was to see it going through bankruptcy. I mean, it, um, it really is an iconic American company that is dying from self-inflicted wounds. 
You know, Gibson back in the late 60s was an Ecuadorian company. They were owned by an Ecuadorian conglomerate called Norlin. And that company was making decisions from Ecuador about the U.S. market and guitars in the U.S. market and was making some really bad decisions and basically almost uh, put Gibson out of business. And then uh, some guitar lovers bought the company and over the next eight years grew it at 30% per year, every year for eight years from 86 through 94. And they did it through some, I think, some smart acquisitions, right? They they went into things like uh, Steinberger, which is a high-end type of guitar, or Dobro. Uh, the company that makes that is called OMI. Um, later, they bought drums, which kind of makes sense, and Baldwin pianos, which, again, kind of makes sense, right? I mean, you could see how a company would want to do those things and how they were related. But then they started to become more acquisition-happy, they reached farther and farther away from their core, which was great guitars. But I, I, I think that those acquisitions did something that was fundamentally more dangerous for Gibson, and that is they took their eye off the ball. And what's Robertson's number one piece of advice to Gibson's new CEO? If I was sitting down with the new CEO, I would say, go talk to these little guitar shops. I talked to uh, one of these guys today, and he said, you know, I don't even do business with Gibson. Um, they ask for too much business. They, they make me guarantee $150,000 in annual sales, and they will choose two-thirds of the inventory that I have to carry, and, and, and. And it was just too big an ask. I think that's exactly the wrong approach. I think Gibson, if it was smart, would go in and look at these guitar shops around the country and around the world and say, how can I make this this small business successful, not just from selling better guitars, but also from helping them run their business more effectively. To hear more from Knowledge at Wharton and to find a reading list about Gibson and research by the Wharton experts we talked to for this podcast, visit our website, knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can also find all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a rating or a review. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.